You're listening to the She Is Fierce podcast. I'm Kelly Youngs, the founder of She Is Fierce, a global women's network that elevates women's stories and gives you the tools and connections you need to live on purpose. We support female leaders and business owners who are ready to level up in business and life and make their mark in the world. And we partner with and provide speakers and development programs for companies that believe in the power of supporting female leaders and women on the rise. But a couple of days after that, Kelly, um, her daughter came over with this manila envelope and she said, um, I think you would like these. And so I, I opened it. And so in that envelope were every single article that had been written about me over the course of my career. On our podcast, you'll hear the inspiring stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who have overcome challenges and built purpose-filled lives. And you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at my mission-driven business and learn how to brand and grow your own. I am talking to Marsha Oliver. She is the Vice President of Community and Inclusion with the PGA Tour. She is a past She Is Fierce speaker, and she is a woman with a diversity of experience and many unique and really inspiring stories that she shared on our stage with our audience. And we're going to talk about a few of them today. So Marsha, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to have you with me today. Thanks for inviting me, Kelly. This is this is one of my highlights. So I love being in the space with you and the organization that you do and the great work that She Is Fear certainly does for, for women all over our community. So thanks for having me. Thank you. I have shared with you previously, and I just did when we before we started recording, that your talk is particularly inspirational to me because you have this incredible range of experiences that I think speak to many women's individual experiences, right? So every woman has had some unique, sure, probably terrible sure. thing happen to them at some point, right? And you seem to have quite a range of those different things and really come out of each of those stronger. And I know we're going to explore that further, but I, I want to say that right from the outset, because that was for me, as I, of course, stood in the room and listened to you speak, as I have thought through your talk later, and of course, in re-watching it as I was getting ready and preparing for this conversation, that was the thing that stood out to me the most. You had each one of the stories that you shared could have been its own She Is Fierce talk. So can I ask you to just start with sharing a little bit of your backstory? So who you are, where you come from, and then of course, I love the story that you shared on stage about going to FAMU and your own personal family journey together. You know, you said it could be any experience. It also can be anyone's anyone's journey. And I really love the question, Kelly, and how you pose that. You really ask how I became the person I am and not the professional I am. So I think that speaks volumes in in how you're even seeing the purpose and the role of of this. So um, I love that. I want to first off say that I am still becoming 
I think Michelle Obama in her book um, did a great job of, of describing that. You know, she said it's it's a forward motion, it's evolving, it's it's not about achieving a certain level or profession or a milestone. It's it's a continuous journey of of wanting to be a better person. It's not lost on me, and you just mentioned it, that I was born into a family of educators. My mom and all seven of her siblings were teachers in the public school system right here in, in Duval County. Um, they were all graduates of FAMU, my alma mater. Um, go Rattlers. So education was very important. Um, it, it's a key part of my backstory. Um, it was the benefits of education that she stressed and all the opportunities that, that it afforded um, that I think that defines me today. And every experience that I've had all of those stories that you talked about has educated me in, in some significant way. You know, I, I'd first say, of course, my parents, my siblings, my, my church family, my circle of friends, they gave me roots and confidence and beliefs that and planted in my faith, which is central to, to my life and my story. College, going to a historically black college and university, that equipped me with the tools and, and the keys that opened many doors throughout my professional career. My divorce, that educated me in, in great ways. It, it gave me insight into myself, resolve, courage, convictions, beliefs, ideals, all of those things that that, that experience ushered in. Single parenting. What an evolution that was. Thoughts about the shame, the, the stereotypes of raising a, a Black male as a, as a single mom, the perceptions that people had of that, of him, of me. Disappointment and failures, there were, there were many of them along the way, but it certainly brought me resilience and the discipline that comes out of that. It, it's funny to hear you say, you know, I've had so many different experiences and diversity of careers and, and, and things. And I hear people say that all the time. Like I had someone reach out to me the other day and said, Hey, I'd love to sit down with you and talk because you've been so great about reinventing yourself. And I want to talk to you and, and hear how you've done it. And you've been successful and you've done it so many times. And I'm telling you, every time I hear it, I scratch my head. Cause I think what I, I, I reinvented myself. I, I don't even think of it as a rebirth or a reinvention. Yes, I, I, I started off my career at a Fortune 100 company. You know, I went and spent, you know, 20 years in government collectively, 16 with the school district, four years with Mayor Curry's office, um, now, you know, at, at the PGA tour. And so I don't even see that as a reinvention. I just see it as a, as a continuous learning process of wanting to be better, wanting to grow. You know, my mom used to have this saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to leave the room. You know, you, you know, you need to not stay there smiling and shining and, you know, thinking you're the greatest, that you really have to believe that there's more learning and growth to be done. So I'm very fortunate that even at age 51, that, that I'm still, I'm still doing it. I'm still becoming. <laughs> you know, one of the things that stands out for me in what you said, right, is that is the first thing that comes to mind for me when I think of your story and the conversations that you and I have had, and even just the wonderful things that I've heard people say about you when you're not around, is your ability to, I, I wouldn't probably have used that word, but it is a perfect word, to reinvent, right? To, to reinvent yourself in different situations and to do it in a way that is successful both professionally, right? But it seems like is also brings you success and and joy personally sure. or gives sure. you a sense of purpose and as you know 
we are exploring this idea of, you know, what it really means to live on purpose. So throughout this podcast season, we are going deeper on, as, as you kind of alluded to, not just what does it take to be a great professional, right? We know right, we have right. thousands of incredible professional women in our community, and we do a lot of things in our membership to work on that. But this podcast season is all about who we are. And mm-hmm. if we're going to put all that hard work in every single day, which we are yeah. all doing, whether we are doing it in a way that is fulfilling or not, we're all showing up and doing hard work. I love to hear from women like you who are doing it in a very purpose-driven way. Mm-hmm. So let me start by saying, can you share a little bit of what you do today to give context? And then I want to go back to your very beginning of your career and how you got started. So I joined PGA Tour two years ago. Um, I joined as the head of community outreach for the Players Championship. So in that role, um, I am responsible for the charitable investments that we provide Northeast Florida community. So we host tournaments around the world with our mission being to good stewards in the communities where we play. So with the Players Championship being the PGA Tour's flagship event, we really seek to be very good investors and partners in the, in the community. So we provide millions of dollars to nonprofit organizations within the communities as a way to be able to say, hey, we live here, we work here, we host a really special event here, so we want to be contributors to that. So I have the good fortune of working with a lot of nonprofit organizations, learning more about ways in which they are contributing to our community and how we as an organization can really be able to support and bolster that. We were tasked with saying, how can we ensure those charitable investments that we are making Mm. are truly directly impacting and influencing the gaps and the disparities that we're seeing in those communities where we play? So um, my role shifted to vice president of community and inclusion, where I now still get the opportunity to support my home team, the Players Championship in Northeast Florida, but also get to work with our other tournaments to see where and how can we learn more about the needs in those communities that we host tournaments across the country and how those investments are directly making a difference in addressing the inequities um, that we see. So it's been it's been rewarding, it's been challenging, but I am I am so fortunate to have the opportunity to work for an organization who who raised their hands. I, I say all the time there was no reason for the commissioner to raise his hand and say, hey, we want to be a part of the conversation about DEI. Golf is probably one of the most homogenous sports. So yeah. You know, who who would have looked to even even say, oh, the PGA Tour is not here, but we're here because we're here for the right reasons. And we really want to be a contributor in making a difference and, and making it a better place for us all. Yeah, I love that. And you use the word that was that came into my head, which is that must be so rewarding. Right. Is, so for you in particular, you know, going back to your She is Fierce talk, you one of the many experiences that you talked about was something that really touched my heart as I was listening back again in preparation for our conversation today, shared your experience of writing an op-ed. Neighbors now know that I don't pose any threat to their public safety or their property values. Um, I can actually walk now to Simply Sarah's, which is a restaurant that's right up the street from my home. I can, it's probably a block away from my front door and I don't have anyone who stops me to say, oh ma'am, is your car broken down? And I had lived there for for seven years. Now, I happened to share that story in a Times Union editorial just days after the death of Trayvon Martin. And what started off as a very gut-wrenching letter to my son 
who could not understand why I didn't allow him to dress a certain way or ride his bike certain places or do things in the neighborhood. He struggled with that. So here this letter was a way to be able to explain to him his mom's fears. Well, I felt that was a story that Jacksonville needed to hear. So I, I thought, you know what? They need to know, certainly, that Trayvon could have been mine, Sanford could have been our community, and George Zimmerman could have been my neighbor. So I felt it was a critically important for, for that story to be told. So you can imagine, I got very mixed reactions from that editorial. My family, who said, oh wow, now you have threatened and risked the safety of both you and Joel. I had my neighbors, the two or three who did speak to me and talk to me, felt like, how dare you speak so disparagingly about the neighborhood. And I had the media, the media who wanted to thrust me into the spokesperson role for being a a, a mom who's raising a black boy, single mothers raising black boys. I was no expert in any of that. I was just a broken-hearted mom who exhaled, picked up a pen, and decided to share her story. As a, as a, a mother to a black boy yes. writing an op-ed and the positive and negative outcomes. Yeah, of part of that talk, it was really more so it began as a letter to my son to talk about, okay, now you understand why I'm so cautious. You know, you know, at that point, you know, he was looking at me and saying, what do you mean I can't wear my Barack Obama t-shirt to go ride my bike? And, and why can't I run across the yard to, to get the garbage can and those kinds of things? You know, I, I have said that God must really have a sense of humor to wait until I'm 51 years of age to plant at my feet this huge, huge responsibility. You know, my parents were raised during segregation. And I remember having the conversation with my mom about my dad, who was the Southern Baptist deacon, very much everything righteous. And this is just, this is the way things should be. This is fair. And I said, like, mom, how did, how did you and dad, knowing how dad challenges anything that's unfair or inequitable, how did you all survive during a time where there were water fountains and segregation that said, you know what, blacks only and, you know, lunch counters and, and restroom facilities. And mom said, oh, we, we survived very easily. Our parents told us, you're thirsty. You wait until you got home. You got to go to the bathroom. You hold it until you got home. You're hungry. You, we eat when we got home. Yeah. So they spent their entire lives avoiding places and situations where they could potentially be discriminated against or treated less than. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially the way we were raised. I mean, we were raised to say, you know what? I have control. I have the ability to determine how I'm going to let someone treat me. It has been a journey for me. It has been, I think, a part of my purpose. And you talked about purpose-driven and me being here at this time, in this space and in this role. I could not be more inspired by the leadership that we have, who actually says, you know what, we should have those conversations. Because I believed in, in part of the talk I mentioned about how I received such criticism from people on both sides about the editorial. So, you know, there's, there's a big part of me that says, you know what, sharing my experiences, telling the vulnerabilities and the challenges and the hurt and the disappointment and the discrimination that, yeah. that I've dealt with. You know, and I should keep that. Like, that's really, you know what, you have to earn that. Now I'm in a role that requires me to speak to those experiences, to be able to inspire and inform 
and help people understand not just what is going on, but why it's going on and how we can personally contribute to, to that change. You know, what you're doing today in this space to make a difference, but also reflecting, I love the story that you shared about your parents and it speaks to something that, you know, just in conversation with other women at She Is Fierce, we've been talking a lot about uh, two things. One is generational change, right? And then the other is there are certain times for certain things, yeah, certain yeah, behaviors and certain yeah. And as much, you know, kind of makes, it's like a really sad thing, but also hopefully turning into something really beautiful, uh, hearing your story as an outsider, right? So as somebody who's listening without knowing that story previously, and I hear, you know, in that moment, your parents were doing what they needed to do, right? To survive, to have self-respect, to do all those things. And then they taught you something and you, and in through all of your stories, which I know you're going to share more of them, but you have continuously proven, right, that you are able to step into that discomfort and then come (laughs) out the other side. And I think, you know, first of all, not everybody is able to do that, or maybe they're capable, but choose not to, right? And then secondly, would just like to take a moment and reflect on that, because I think as we talk about purpose, and as we explore this idea of how do we live with purpose, I know sometimes I talk to, to women who are like, well, if I'm not hundred thousand percent moving in this direction that mm-hmm. I failed. Yeah. Right. And, and the reality is you can only move at the pace that you're moving. So I love your, your reflection about being 51 and suddenly after all of those experiences, finding yourself in just the right place to make a difference. Yeah. And I think too, when you talk about purpose and, and I'd have to say, you know, how I see purpose now versus how I saw it before. A, a lot of people believe purpose is tied to doing. I think I shared this during my She Is Fierce talk that I was born the youngest of three. I was an oops baby. There's a 14-year difference between my oldest sibling and I and a seven-year difference between the one closest to me. And so my parents were 42 years old when I was born. My dad my mom said, Hey, we had our own grandchild. My dad, you know, nicknamed me the blessing. So part of, part of that whole thing. And, and I think about it even today, like I had the benefit and the great fortune of having my parents until 81 and 83 years of age. And it was a blessing to care for them throughout their illnesses and and, and their death. And I really believe that, you know what, my purpose, because I was, I was an oops baby, you know, I mean, that was, there was, there was no if, ands, or buts about it. Mom said, you know what, I was a gray haired woman walking around pregnant and would get all these stares all the time. But I believe Kelly at that time that my purpose was really to be born in order to take care of my parents, that that was really the, the reason for my life. And I thought, you know what, God, if I die today or tomorrow, I fulfill my purpose because I was able to care for them. They knew they were loved. They were, they were taking, taken, you know, taken very well cared for. So I now see that purpose is not just doing, it's being. And I find purpose in everything. And I, I look at it and I look for it all the time. I believe now that you can find purpose in every single thing, that it's not this long drawn out goal that you're aspiring to or this ultimate purpose driven life book. And I mean, I read the book, I've searched for the scriptures, all of that, it's, it's, it's all there. But when I, when I look for purpose in every single thing, I think you can find it every single day. And that's really the way 
that's really the way that I, I see it. Mm, I love that. Well, and I think, you know, as we just reflect on, you know, something that you shared earlier about your own experience, right? So, well, and, and you sort of started the conversation around starting out in a Fortune 100 company, you shared in your talk being somebody who didn't necessarily fit in, right? In Hershey, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. And I mean, I, I said this at the beginning of our conversation, for me, I was like, okay, divorce, uh, you know, dealing with racial <laughs> struggle, uh, dealing with uh, pregnancy discrimination. You shared so many yeah. like individually impactful experiences. You guys forced me. So anyone who's doing she is fierce, just know when you come to the table, vulnerability is welcomed. <laughs> that is 100% accurate. And I do say that to everybody. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I will say it again. Yes. But I, I loved it. And I have to say that as, as I was kind of reflecting on it, I did think that it was a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal sure. with. Right? And when I think of you, I think of a really light, fun, really open person. And I hope you don't mind, but I would love to ask how you stay that way. So what keeps you who yeah. you are in the midst of a lot of adversity? There was a colleague at the time I was working for um, an advertising and PR agency, and there was a colleague who said she was applying and said, Marsha, you should apply. So at the time, Kelly, you don't know where you're going, you know, and I thought, oh, wow, I've always felt like in my resume, um, you know, I didn't have international experience on it. You know, my parents weren't rich, so I couldn't take a gap year and travel abroad. So, wow, this might be my opportunity, uh-huh. you know four years into my career to be able to have an international experience. So I applied and went for the interview and I got in. Well, lo and behold, where we were going, and this is a three month trip. So where we were going was South Africa. Now I want you to note this was just two years after apartheid had ended. So you go through this whole process before you go on this um, professional exchange where they bring in people, they train you on what are the customs, the policies and the traditions. And it was very well pointed out um, that there were going to be places that we could not go because I was the only black among four professionals who were going to South Africa. And because of the color of my skin, there were places still two years later as a result of apartheid that I would be unable to go. So my, I was married at the time. So my husband, my parents are like, well, you're not going like, that's crazy. Well, okay. Very nice. Yeah. You, you tried it. You applied, you know, great job on that essay and that interview, but congratulations, but you're not going to South Africa. And I thought, you know what, what is that? What does that say about me? If, if I don't go, um, Again, going back to my parents and saying, you don't put yourselves in situations where you could be discriminated against. So for them, that was very much a, a no-no. But I, I decided to go because I thought, what a wonderful experience that this would be for me. My employer um, also thought that it was wonderful and said, hey, we're going to give you your, your salary while you're there. We're going to promote that you're a part of this. And so there were no reasons for me to say no. So we go, and I'll admit, I mean, I was, I was afraid. There was a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety. And so we served very much like the Rotary meetings that are hosted here. We served as the keynote speakers at the Rotary meetings. So the very first Rotary meeting that we have, and we started out in Cape Town, and every couple of days we tour the Western Cape and, and go somewhere. So the very first meeting we had, we spoke. I spoke. There were, you know, four of us. 
And so at the end of the talk, um, the president of the Rotary there and a few others, and note now, these are all, these are all white. These are Afrikaans. This is not, you know, where you're thinking about Africa, where- I've been to South Africa more okay. recently, okay. and I can picture this. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I know we will have women that listen to this who live in South Africa yeah. and who will absolutely understand. And, and so certainly um, immediately after the talk, you know, the president comes up to me and a few others and- I'll re I remember this like it was yesterday. And the gentleman said to me, oh, you're so well-spoken. What a wonderful talk. Are you Hawaiian? And so it hit me. Am I Hawaiian? No, I'm, but you're so articulate. You're so well-spoken. And I said, well, you know what? There are a lot of people in my country who look like me who are well-spoken. It's the benefit of, of an education. Um, in South Africa, people who look like, like me were denied the benefit and the privilege of an education. So in the homes where we stayed were the people who looked like me. And I can tell you the pride that they felt when I was there in the house. And so it became so important for me, Kelly, at that time. And I remember like it was a, it was a light bulb as if to say, okay, Marsha, you did all this as a way to add something to your resume as a career booster yeah. where you get to say that you had an international experience. But the reality for me was, no, that changed me. That said to me, you know what, if you are, if your perception and the only lens that they had of people who looked like me were those who were uneducated, who didn't have the ability to, to stand up in front of an audience and, and give a presentation. And so I made a pact then with myself that I am going to ensure that when I came back, that I was going to be more engaged and active and involved in organizations that really allowed and promoted the benefit of education, but also that said to little black girls and little black boys that you can be successful and you can do these things. But it was really, it was really that experience that I think for me catapulted me into saying, okay, there is a responsibility that you have that's just not about Marsha. It's really about how you can inspire and how you can be a part of of showcasing, you know, what, what the world should look like and, and, and yeah. what it does. So this one particular place where we were, I stayed in the bed and breakfast. And so I was thrilled because that meant, you know what, I get to take off the mask. Yeah. I get to shut the door and I, you know, I don't have to worry about, I get to relax. Yeah. And so the owner of the bed and breakfast, we had dinner the, my first night there um, at the bed and breakfast. And she said, well, you know why you're here? don't you? And I said, I'm, I'm not sure I follow you. What do you mean? Why am I here? She goes, well, we, we couldn't find anyone here who would be willing to host you. They did not want a, a black woman in their home. So this was the only solution for you on this stop is to be in a bed and breakfast. And I think that was the only time where I think I really felt how discrimination could be detrimental in terms of my safety. Like, like I, I thought, oh my gosh, I, I'll never tell my husband and my parents this because they didn't want me to come any, you know, they didn't want me to come anyway. But what I learned is, you know what people see in the world, what they carry in their hearts. So how can we through our interactions, through, you know, our teaching and our learnings and our shared experience can really change their hearts because it's, it's really what, it's really what they see. And so um, it was a wonderful experience for me, one that I really hold true and dear to a big part of, of my becoming. Yeah, I love that. 
Well, and I think, you know, you, you talked about, of course, because this is what the question was related to your own experience. But right. I also think about the people that you encountered there, right? Yeah. Yeah. As horrible as that question was, or as horrible as it is to, to recount a story, right, where somebody said to you, aren't you articulate? Well done. Yeah. Which I have actually had that as a white American woman many times living <laughs> in other countries. And so I can only imagine. But I think as horrible as that story is, it also makes me think, well, what did that person walk away and think afterwards? Yeah, right? right. And so as, right. as kind of, you know, ignorant as that question is, I wonder the impact that you had on those people. Absolutely. And then, of course, in the conversation we're having today, we're reflecting just a little bit on what happened when you came back. So I love that. I mean, that's how old, how old would you say you were when you had that experience? Do you remember? So, so I was 26 years old. Yeah. 26. What an amazing formative experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if you don't mind, I want to, so each of our, our podcast conversations, we kind of come up with a theme and that's the one that we of course are going to share and promote with everybody, but it's also something that is a theme that is true to your talk Mm. and a theme that is true to our conversation. Right. And sometimes it's really obvious, right? So I'll, I'll have it. I'm like, oh, this is about service done. I know okay. what this is. Oh, God. What is you this going to be about, Kelly? Oh, my. <laughs> this is my question. And the, the theme that really sticks out for me, and I want to ask you if you feel like this is true or if there's a, another one that you want us to highlight, because we've kind of had a lot of conversations mm-hmm. or talks in this, in this conversation. Um, but it's about, for me, you're talking about diversity, right, as a Black woman but also diversity in your experience. Like even before thinking of uh, the diversity element of, you know, being a black woman going to Africa or being a a black woman living here, just hearing so many different things that you've experienced that I think would be for many people, one of those stories would be, that's my, that's my Mm -hmm. big story, right? Like that, for me, that's the thing that has stuck out. So, you know, we haven't talked much about this, but you share very briefly in your talk that you actually uh, brought a pregnancy discrimination suit. And I was inspired by the fact that you shared that because I think that so many people and so many strong people would be scared. I think I would be scared. Sure, sure, sure. And knowing that you have this positive outcome, right? You have this incredible career, you're in in this position of leadership, I think it's empowering for our audience and hopefully for people that are listening to our conversation too, to say, you know, there is a way to do what is right, right? There's a way to fight for justice, but also come out the other side better for it. So I I loved that. And I, I, we don't have to go into all of the details. And I I will say too, I mean, I, I, I hear you certainly, you know, saying, Hey, women can reflect on things in which, you know, they've dealt, whether it's it's that particular experience or another one. And I think the root of it is just having the courage. You know, I, it's really the courage to to show up, to speak up, to challenge up. You know, all, all of those things, I think, is probably rooted in that one specific characteristic. You know, and, and, I, and I struggle with it. I mean, you know, to hear you say I came out on the other side successful in that regard. You know what? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would certainly say my career has not been stalled as a result of it, but I, I learned a lot about myself and there was a lot of disappointment and, 
you know, should I or shouldn't I and and wanting to to fight because it's it's the right thing to do yeah. and understanding, you know, what this battle is and, and what this outcome is. And that's in, in a variety of, of experiences that I've had. But, you know, when when I think about courage, I mean, I struggle with that every single day. There is something that I am thinking about in terms of how I can make sure my convictions and my beliefs are are, are always are always there. Um, you know, whether it's a it's a, a big tragic thing like that or something just as simple as, as speaking up in, in a meeting. Believe. I mean, I'm I'm risk averse despite what my career says and leaning into discomfort. No way. It is it is not easy at all. And I talked about that with Brene Brown and Daring Greatly and and the significance and the importance of that. But I have to tell myself you know, that ships are though they are safest in harbor, that is not what they were built for. So yeah, you've been in this career for 16 years, or you've been in this relationship since you were in high school, you know what, you've got to be open to change, and you have to have the courage to want to do more and and be better and and make those decisions that, that get you there. I love the example that you gave, because for me, I think it, it aligns so perfectly with how you are living your life, right? So how you are making choices and the example that you gave of just going back to being 51 and stepping yes. into this new role and taking on something that, you know, it matters to you as a professional and it matters mm-hmm. to your company, but it also matters to culture and it matters mm-hmm. to society. And yeah. I think that that's a unique opportunity. It is a big challenge. And I will say too, from even the time and I recently listened in on my She is Fierce talk. And I, it's amazing how I've grown. I think, you know, during that talk, I was very much focused on Brene Brown, who I remain a huge fan of her book, Daring Greatly, and talking about vulnerability. But when I turned 50, I was gifted a book by Richard Rohr calling Falling Upward. And it talks about the two halves of life. So the first half of life, you know, we spend time you know, with aspirations and achievement and successes and building our career and building our reputation. And he calls that the container. That's that's our container. It's all the things that we feel best define us on what we've done. And the second half of life includes the contents. You know, what's in that container? What's inspiring us? What's motivating us? Um, how do we want to be remembered? What difference are we really making? And I remember vividly, like it was a it was a light bulb. It was almost like a complete switch where I couldn't actually figure out why joining another board or, you know, doing public service at the national level, which, you know, when I joined the mayor's office, that's what I was thinking. I was going to move to D.C. And, and do, you know, government there. And I couldn't understand why none of those things were speaking to me. And then when I read that book, it was exactly why. It was no longer about the container. It was more so about what I was using to fill that container. And those were the things that were motivating me. Like, you know, I went from Marsha and the mantra, you know, I am liked, I am excelling, I am successful to Marsha. You know what? I am loved. Um, I belong. I am enough. Like those are the things now um, I even have on the side of my bed the Amanda Gorman book, The Hill We Climb, and that's the the inauguration poem. So in it, she has the line that she, you know, took from Hamilton, the musical Hamilton that said, history has its eyes. Yes, history has its eyes on us. So every morning, 
every morning, Kelly, when my feet hit the floor, I truly believe that history has its eyes on me, like my ancestors, those who fought so hard for me to have the opportunities that I have today are watching. So when I want to climb back in bed and I want to pull the covers over my head and not face the newscasts and all of the verdicts and what we're seeing with the inequities and the injustices, it's like, no, no, girl, you, you can't do that. You've got you to gotta get going because we fought too hard and we're expecting you to make contributions that are going to make the world a better place. So that is, that is my motivation. And that has how, you know, I've, I've kind of transformed since the She is Fierce talk to, you know, wanting to be, you know, that whole container filled Marsha to really, you know, now actually living and being inspired by those things. Yeah. Well, I love that idea. I have not read that book and I will have to go and read it, but I also think, you know, one of the things that stands out for me and what you're saying is taking on personal responsibility for things that are so much bigger than ourselves. And I know um, I struggle with that personally with, with She is Fierce, like the whole intention behind She is Fierce was to create a platform for women's stories and, and was all the things that we're doing, but it's also, you can't, you can't solve yes. problems, right? right? And yet, it's, it's kind of creating that sense of, of personal responsibility, but also being able to see what is possible, right? And being able sure. to see the positive impact that you do have. Sure. And I know, of course, we're, the reason we're having this conversation is because you are making that impact out in the world. And really, I think, you know, inspiring the women on our stage, but also just day to day in the impact that you're making. Is there anything that really stands out for you as something that you're really proud of? having done? You know what, I'd have to say, I'm, I'm really proud of my son. Um, I mean, I, it is, it is what makes me cry, makes me angry, makes me happy. You know, he was three years old um, when his dad and I um, separated and, and subsequently divorced. And I think as part of my She is Fierce talk, I talked about how you know, what I worried about, you know, do I change my last name back to my maiden name? He's going to have a different name than I had. Well, well, you know, how will he be perceived? How will I be perceived? And so knowing that, you know, he had an interest in the arts and theater and how mom, the helicopter mom I am saying, oh, honey, you know what? That's a hobby. That's a really nice hobby. Can you major in, in, in something else, you know, that yeah will allow you to make money and, you know, be independent. And, you know, it's really hard to be a struggling artist. And I had to grow, you know, from that. And it was, it was very, very hard um, for me, but to see him living, you know, his truth and his dream of going off to college. Um, he was actually, I think, a freshman in college when I gave my She is Fierce talk. He has since graduated from college with the theater um, degree, the way in which he has thought to say, okay, COVID did not cheat me. COVID challenged me. Um, this is a delay. He has taught me so much in that regard. So I'd have to say that is probably what I am, what I am most proud of. Um, and that is really me taking the time to say, and, and, and I shared this as part of the She is Fierce talk, how I failed at the one thing that is supposed to be the most important, and that is family, and that is marriage, and a first-time divorcee in my family, and all of the, the shame that came along with that, to stand here and say today, 
um, I was better for it and yeah. he's better as a result of it um, gives me the greatest pride and joy. Mm. I love that. And I, you know, I'm glad we talked about that because that was one of the things that stood out for me in your talk as well of the many where, um, you know, of course I have a lot of friends that, you know, we're in that age now, right. Where all of a sudden <laughs> half the couples around you yeah. up. and I think so many women, so many personal friends of mine have experienced what you're talking about, right. The, the feeling that it's a failure or that they've done something or haven't been able to do something. Right. And in reality, you know, as, as somebody, of course, who is, again, standing objectively on the outside and saying, look at you, trying your heart, like, look at you doing everything you can possibly do and being the best mom and being a, you know, working to make money and doing all those things. Sure. It's hard to watch them think they're failing, right? Yeah. And so I love your example of somebody who is honest about what yeah. that was like but also being able to say with proof that it all worked out, <laughs> right? It's, it's working out. He's right. becoming too, just like I'm becoming, he's becoming as well. But you know, when someone can say he's a kind soul, he's a, you know, he's, he's a good person, you know, it, 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 it makes me forget, you know, all the times in which, you know what, he, he didn't do what I asked him to do. Um, and th those are the things that matter the most when we think about, you know, what our role should be um, as parents. And I'm, and I'm still learning. I mean, I am a helicopter parent. Um, he lives nearby. I do drive-bys. I, 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 I hear, you know, peek in on him. And, you know, so I'm, I'm still learning, you know, how to- um, I 100% support you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not he, he younger, But I'm on board for that motherhood okay. experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I have friends who say, let it go, let it go. But yeah. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're all becoming. You're welcome to text me if you want support. <laughs> I will give it to you. Text you instead of him. <laughs> I'll write feedback sure. on the radius. Yes, yes. Love it. <laughs> so as we close our conversation, I want to do this little audio divina exercise where we just take one story from so many different stories that you shared of your personal experience and just go a little bit deeper and sometimes I pick the story, but I want to ask okay. you because you have so many interesting stories that you've shared in your talk. And then, you know, today mm -hmm. you shared some I've never heard before. Is there one that stands out for you as particularly relevant maybe to the idea of purpose or, or just really meaningful? Um, I'd probably say my South Africa experience um, and how to the whole notion of people see in the world what they carry in their hearts and taking the time to really know. And, and you even said it, Kelly, like, you know, how did that gentleman who was surprised by my ability to be articulate and poised um, and provide a presentation, how maybe I may have influenced or changed his perspective. So I, I live in the neighborhood and I think I might've shared this as part of my my She is Fierce talk, um, moved into an area of Jacksonville. I am the only um, Black person who lives in, in the neighborhood. And um, when I first moved here, um, my very first day at the house moving in, um, the neighbor on one side of me, and it's a historic neighborhood, so primarily the people who live here are, are elderly. And so um, 
the neighbor came over as I was getting things um, out of the car and she said, oh, are you my new neighbor? And I said, yes, I am. Nice to meet you. And she said, well, I want you to know that um, the neighborhood is really quiet. And I thought, oh, okay. I mean, so, so Marsha with the devil on her shoulder is like, yeah, it used to be, but you just wait until I start having these wild parties. Come over and told here. Like, yeah. So, you know, you get ready because it used to be quiet. But I, you know, I heard that and I remember thinking, hmm. So she's thinking based upon whatever experience that she has that, you know, I, for, for whatever reason or characteristics or beliefs that she had would not support and contribute to a quiet environment. So um, over the years, um, I got to know her and we became friendly and neighborly. I mean, I, I am one who, if I'm living in the neighborhood, you are my people. This is our village and I am going to lean into the village. So we had a wonderful relationship. I'd come home some days at work and she would have planted um, plants in my window boxes. And when she became ill, I'd take her food and just do things for her. And we talk and, and um, just, you know, generous and loving acts that we did with one another. And so when she passed away, her daughter, and I went to the funeral, I was there, um, her daughter referenced the neighbors and, and me and how gracious we were to her. Um, but a couple of days after that, Kelly, um, her daughter came over with this manila envelope and she said, um, I think you would like these. And so I, I opened it. And so in that envelope were every single article that had been written about me over the course of my career, whether it was a new job, a new position, some accomplishment, some quote that may have been in the newspaper, she had clipped every single one of those articles and had kept them in her kitchen drawer. And her daughter said, I don't know if you knew this, but mom loved you. And here is evidence of that. And I go back and I think about how when I say people see in the world what they carry in their hearts, I'm not sure what her heart said when I moved into this neighborhood and what she believed and how she saw me or how she saw the world. But I certainly know as a result of that, how she saw me at the end of her life. And in the time in which I was her neighbor, I was able to inspire. I was able to inform. I was able to, in some kind of way, touch her heart and, and she touched mine. So that is probably, that's probably the one that I would love for us to think about as we, as we hear the newscast and how heartbreaking they are and the mistrust and all that exists today. If we took the time to really say, let's, let's lean in and let's have an opportunity to inform and and educate people on who we are. And we'll believe that our, our similarities are greater than our dissimilarities and we'll find love and peace. I, I, am, I am tearing up over here, as you can see. That is a beautiful story yeah. about your neighbor and a beautiful illustration, right? Of what yeah. you were sharing earlier. And sure. truly, as you kind of you know already shared, but the idea that you're, you just living your life and being your best self. Yes. You are making an impact on people as individuals, right? So it sounds like you really touched her as, a, as an individual, but also on her perceptions and probably the way she spoke about people who look like you, yeah. who have nothing to do with you, right? Sure. 
and the way that she communicated with her friends or what she might have spoken up in a situation, things that you don't even know. Exactly. I think that's beautiful. And that was a purpose. Like I'd have to say it was a purpose for me to be in this house, in this neighborhood at that time with her. You know, we talk about having having a purpose-driven life. There, there was a purpose behind that. I, I call that my Patty model. And I lead with that all the time. Her name was Patty. And that's how, as I do this work, I am looking for the Patty models, how we can really change, how we really can change perceptions and and bridge those differences that, that divide us. So I'm definitely crying. I want to just take a moment. <laughs> and I and I have cried telling that story so many times. Because it's it's and, and the reason why there are tears is because you believe it and you know that it can you know that it can work. The next question is just how has the story touched you? So I'm gonna share how that story touched me, but also, you know, that for me calls up other stories that you have just shared with us and the ones that you shared on our stage and this kind of broader theme of being an individual, just going out in the world, living your life and how your behavior impacts others, right? So we talk, I think everybody talks about that. How do, how do we create relationships? But also you are carrying a additional burden that you didn't ask for, right? right. Of being of having perceptions about you that you have to change. You know, as women, we all have that, but you're carrying it on a much greater level. And I love how in each of the stories that you've shared and in that story in particular with one little lady that lived next door to you, how you changed hearts and minds to be really cheesy in a, simply by being yourself, right? Simply by the way that you engage with others. And sometimes I think there, there are absolutely times when we have to stand up and shout, right? And that, like we talked about, there are times we have to call and we have to you know, rise to the moment. But there's also like day-to-day living yeah. is when you see who you really are. Yeah. And I love uh, how that story illustrates for me who you are and also how we can each kind of emulate that. Yeah, you know what I, I will say, and this is this is the becoming part of Marsha, where I am still growing and learning, Kelly. You know what? My reaction could have been when when Patty said, "This is a quiet neighborhood." My reaction could have been, "What do you mean by that?" You know, I could have probed, I could have taken offense to it, and you know, put up a fence, planted a, a big bushy tree. And in some instances, you know, I could say, well, you know what, I probably should have asked, you know, if if we're going to have the courageous conversations, the difficult conversations, did I shy away from that? Did I avoid that? But I also now say, did I need that? Did I need to ask that question? If I am going to just live my life and be who I am, I I wasn't pretending to be someone who I'm not. I, I don't have noisy wild parties. My bedtime is nine o'clock. I've got these little cocktail napkins that say I'm born to be wild until around 9 p.m. or so. Like, so there, there was nothing that, you know, required me to mask who I was, but you know what, there's a, there's a part of knowing when to have those conversations, when to have those difficult, and, and who knows how it would have transpired had I confronted her to say, what do you mean? Or the same with the South African incident where, 
you know, the gentleman said to me, you know, you're so well-spoken and you're so articulate. I could have taken offense to that and, you know, and confronted him and, and said, well, you know, why do you feel that way? And so, you know what, I am, I am learning when and how can we inspire change and not, you know, try to create or, or force something. And that's, and I think that's, that's part of growing and learning and understanding, you know, it, at some points in my life, I, I was after every battle, like, you know what, and, and I've got a, a whole bunch of colleagues and friends from college who'll tell you that it was like, all right, Marsha, you know, like, get in the car, you know, <laughs> you know we're, we're, we're leaving. So, you know what, it's, it's an evolution. It's part of growing and understanding where and how you use your voice in ways for good. And mm-hmm. that is part of, I think that's part of the process. Uh, our last question is simply, what is it, what is this conversation and what is that story in particular calling you to do in your life? And so for you, it's a reflection of how is all of your amazing, you know, your life experience, how is that calling you to live differently or to continue forward? And for me, I would say there were two big themes that came out. And one is from this, this story that you shared, the to remind myself, right? In the way that you did to remind myself that even when I think I know about someone else's opinions Mm. or someone else's ignorance or someone else's uh, life experience that I do not. And to recognize that, you know, there, just like we said, there are times to speak up and there are times to be respectful and to let somebody see the, see who you are, whether it's me or see the truth, right? In whatever the situation is. And then the the second one is just just a thought that you had earlier. And that is about the invisible placard, right? So your Madeline Albright story. I love that. And I'm going to take that out into the world. And I think the way that you framed it was beautiful. This idea of when I'm nervous or when I'm not sure, I remember that I have this responsibility that is beyond myself. And I, I love that. So that's, certainly calling me to do more of that in my life. So I love that. And thank you. Yes. Echo. I mean, exclamation point on, on that one. Um, Because as I, as I said, I try to think of that every time because it's so easy for us to be uncomfortable. I mean, it's, it's very easy for us to kind of say, Oh, okay. I'm just gonna, you know, make my way in here and hide my anxiety. I mean, to hear Madeline Albright talk, to say, oh, well, they like me. Like, seriously? I mean, you're a diplomat. You know, why, why should you even, why should you even care? So I, I would certainly say that is, is no doubt one of them. I am called to constantly be reminded, um, to be reminded of that, but also purpose. I mean, you know what, the series that you're launching is, you know, elevating women, you know, and, and bringing a spotlight on purpose. I can't tell you how for so long, I believe that purpose was tied to a uh, specific thing, mm-hmm. a specific goal, a specific achievement, a specific milestone. And I could not be more wrong. It is, it is being, it is purpose in every day and everything and looking for that. Like if you are afforded the opportunity to act with kindness or compassion or share any gift that you have in any special way, that is purpose. And so don't tie it to, you know what, I was born to take care of my parents or, 
I was born to launch She is Fierce, or I was born to be, you know, the first woman in this particular role, um, or even I was born to be a mom, like all of those things, yes, those are purposes, but find it in, in everything, even, even the small things that you are afforded to do, um, you know, it's, it's there as well. I love that's a beautiful way to close Marsha thank you so much so we have been talking with the fabulous and fierce Marsha Oliver the I love to hear you say that no one else says that so okay, I love okay you can text me about that too if you want I love it so Marsha Oliver, Vice President of Community and Inclusion with the PGA Tour, a past She is Fierce speaker, and a very fierce woman. Yay! Thank you, so Thank you, Kelly. You have been such an inspiration to me and your organization, and I am delighted that I have had the opportunity to connect with you, to learn with and from you. So keep up, keep up the great work and keep becoming. Thank you for saying that. I, I am very grateful. It means the world to me and um, I feel lucky to have connected with you. So Same. I can't wait to share this with everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the She Is Fierce podcast. If you're ready to level up in your life and start living on purpose, join our community of fierce female leaders and women on the rise who are ready to make more money, find more joy, and make their mark in the world. Inside our society membership, our high-level CEO mastermind circle, or at our sold-out live events. Choose how you want to get involved at sheisfiercehq.com.